Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to see all of you. Welcome guests and friends from afar. May you be blessed here with us this morning. And those that are listening in, may the Lord bless you as you, uh, wherever you're at, wherever the Lord has you, that you might spend this morning with us as we seek the Word of God and as we seek His will. <clears throat> Let's open up again with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you're in the midst here. We thank you that you're in our hearts. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and uh, the, the love, Father, that we have in you to, to come and to seek thy word. Father, increase this love. We pray that we might not only spend time in looking at your word, but we might be doers, we might do the hard things in our lives, <clears throat> in our home lives in our devotions, in our prayer to you, Lord. Father, we know these things are all important, but we're so weak at times, and we pray for strength. Father, we pray that you give us wisdom. We pray that you open up our eyes and that you reveal to us, Father, what, not only what your will is, Father, but to how to get on the right road. To consistent, wholesome Christianity. A Christianity, Lord, that is consistent, that is straight, that is narrow. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to have a, my title of this message is Spiritual Warfare. I've preached on this before, but it's been on my heart lately that more than ever we are part of a spiritual warfare. Um, I've got a deep burden on my heart for our young men, our young ladies, that as hard as they may try, and I see a lot of young people really trying, they're, they want to get on with their lives, but I see so many floundering um, bypasses and detours in their lives, inconsistencies, and they're also in us, in, in, in uh, middle-aged men, in his older men. They're, they're in all of us. But in young men, we, we're, we're more especially sensitive to because there, there's more at stake. There's, there's a young heart that is, uh, they're going a certain direction. And, and Satan wants to make sure that they end up in the wrong direction. Their, their very future is hinging on, on crossroads, like a wishbone. This one will lead this way, and this one will lead that way. And the enemy wants to make sure that we end up taking the wrong life choices. Indeed, he wants to make all of us take the wrong life choices in our everyday life. And this is what I've been meditating on, on a lot lately, how strategically the wiles of the enemy is successfully distracting us and then leveraging us first to be desensitized by means of media, distractions, lack of prayer, quiet time. And then with a gentle push, we, fa we fail. We fall over, we lose our joy, we lose our peace, we lose our sense of power in the Holy Spirit. We lose our love of the brethren. We lose our sense of purpose. The problem we have with our fellow brothers and sisters actually a festering boil 
we have with some personal issue of the heart where we made a wrong turn in our life. We would do well to recognize, brethren, the point of failure is not the problem. And all of us that have walked realize this, that the point of failure is not the problem. We fell, we get up. Where we fell is not the problem. It's recognizing when we started to make the wrong turns. It's recognizing where the enemy set us up to fail way before we did. Once we realize that we made a wrong exit miles from the main road, we can acknowledge it's not the sin potholes on these bad roads that's the trouble. It's the fact that we made a wrong turn miles ago. Sadly, it's often the case that we love the sin potholes more than a straight and narrow road that prevents us from finding the nice main road. Isn't that the problem, dear ones? That we love the sin potholes. We love the vicious cycle. We're not ready to be serious with God. We're not ready to lay certain things down because we love it so much. We know where it'll lead us. We know it. But we're not ready to lay it down. We enjoy the vicious cycle of falling, getting up, falling, getting up. All the while having a certain look about us hey, that we're Christians. And yes, we might be. I'm not seeing that this morning. I'm seeing... Well, I, want to, I want to make an illustration on the board that's helped me realize what is really going on. What's really going on in my life? And I'm speaking from experience and things that are going on in my life. I don't know if the mic will pick me up, but I'm sorry for those listening in this morning. I'm going to be on the board drawing an illustration. On that illustration, we have a narrow road. That's our narrow road here. And it's filled, a narrow road can be filled up with twists and turns of life, normal life, that it's out of our control. While we're on that narrow road, we have no control over it. The Lord sets us up. He, he, wants, he takes us through the wilderness. It's not always, it is straight and narrow. But in life, real life, it's twists and turns. It's, it's obstacles we have to cross over. And here, there's a gradual exit sign. It appears to be the right road, but it's a lot wider. And for a while, it seems to be the right road because it's so close to the <coughs> road. There's this area of, right here, of grayness. We're not sure where the borders are. And why is it gray? Because we haven't been doing our quiet time. We're not in prayer. We're not loving the brethren. We're not listening to our brother. We think we've got it figured out. There's a certain pride that seeps in. And we go all over this, this wider road. Brethren, this is where the sin starts. It is not the actual sin. It's starting to go off this bad, wider road. We need to recognize this. It is where the enemy's deception, where we need to watch out. And we're going to read Ephesians 6 in a moment here. One of the first things and the strongest ones that leads us to sin is pride. The 
pride of life. This is an age-old problem, and it's the, one of the worst ones a Christian can have. Some of the other ones are bitterness. That's a sin. It's discouragement. Because discouragement is faithlessness. It's unforgiveness, which is part of bitterness. These are sins. These, this is a road that we went back past here. And it leads to, it leads to sin. One of the other pitfalls, and I see it very prevalent here, in, in this uh, 20, 21st generation, is, it's a long word, it starts with desensitization. I don't know. Desensitization. I knew how to spell it before I came, but I don't anymore. Okay, how does desensitization help? How does it how does it start? It starts with our lack of prayer, our lack of devotion to God. It starts back here. It starts by watching a movie, by spending time on, on sports headlines, by doing things that are leading us astray. And it's different. The process of desensitization is different for every one of you. But it is also similar to most of us. And how does desensitization end? It ends in sin. In the, in the form of lust. Spiritual adultery of the heart. <coughs> Media binges. Just uh, watching a movie, and, and that movie is questionable, and then after that, watching even questionable one, and then after that, we're, into, we're stuck into porn. And this, is, this can be very real for, for a lot of us. And this is, this is sin. And the road we took into that started right here. But I want to say, brethren, some of us are in a vicious circle. And the sad thing is, we like it there. We might be Christians, we might have made a choice at some time to love Christ. But we love this vicious cycle here. We know where it leads. We're up and down. We're not careful we're not content here this is legalism we say why can't we do what the other people are doing because brethren these people have made choices in their lives they cannot do them because they know where these things are leading them and brethren this is what I want to talk about the, the spiritual warfare that we have to be part of that we are part of if we notice it or not. We are part of this warfare. And it's a warfare for our children. It's a warfare for our own souls. Brethren, just because Alton allows certain things, it does not say much. It does not mean we can do them. 
does not mean we can go down the road of liberties. Just because we have or will have more Wi-Fi here in the future, there's a fiber line that went in. What does that mean? More liberties. More movies. More media. No, brethren. I know the push was to bring it in for our school because we're always, always out of, out of uh, bandwidth. But part of the problem is we're out of bandwidth because of our loss. And I'm, I'm with you, brethren. I, I, I am one of you. But does that media coming in also correlate with our vicious cycle of trying to overcome and not being able to overcome living powerless lives? Brethren, we'll have to make some hard things for our families, for our own souls. Let's start reading in Ephesians 6. And as we read, brethren, I want you to think of this. Think of this illustration up on a board. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that he may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We'll stop there. Do we believe that these verses, do we believe these verses on our everyday life? Or is it just a nice read for Sunday morning? Are these verses real to us? Are we in a fight? Is it a mere coincidence that we took a wrong turn or pressed the wrong mouse button or finger? On our screen? Is it our lusts that are at fault, or is it the enemy tempting us? Is it our lusts that are at fault, or the enemy tempting us, knowing our lusts, or both? Now, here's what I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong after the message, but I believe it's never just our natural desires that cause us to sin. It's never just our natural desires that cause us to sin, and it's never just the wiles of the devil that causes us to sin. I believe it's the wiles of the devil knowing our natural desires will tempt us to sin and try to create detours into our lives. It's both, brethren. It's both. The enemy knows our natural desires, our weaknesses, and he will use them for his advantage. 
Satan uses our lusts or natural desires to lure us into sin. The enemy always uses that which is seemingly good and harmless and turns it into something bad down the wrong road. Now I'm going to make another bold statement. The enemy never causes us to sin when we are on the right road. The enemy never causes us to sin when we are on the right road. We have long turned off when we fall into sin. We have gone off the detour. It doesn't happen right away. What I mean is this. We don't get off the narrow road and sin right here. It's usually a process. He's much too smart and cunning to take us off the main road and into the sin right away. He does. He, he spreads a few lies here and there. And he gets us to believe this and that and this and that. And then that leads us into sin. And it can, it can happen quickly, but it doesn't happen right away. There's a desensitizing that happens first. Can you, can you appreciate that or do you agree with that? Um, it's just that way in my life anyway. If I'm doing good, if I'm doing precious time with the Lord... The enemy is way too smart to get me off right there. He uses something, and then that, gets, then that leads to this, and this leads to that, and this leads to that, and pretty soon we're into sin, or we have sinned, even though we get up again. This, this vicious cycle is not what the Lord wants for us as Christians. Second Corinthians verse 10. I'll just read it. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 4. For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's a warfare that begins with the mind. We live in a spiritual world that knows only physical. Whether we believe it or not, sense it, or experience, or understand it, will not change the fact that we are living in a spiritual world. Uh, we all believe this. We all know this. We are sensual, physical human beings. All around us we see, we smell, we taste, we hear, we touch, we enjoy physical things. We enjoy them for the most part. God has created these things. They are good for the most part, but it's only the surface. Satan has succeeded in deceiving most of the world that the physical is, is only reality. It's the only reality. That is why the atheists and unbelievers think that we live and die and turn into dirt and that's it. You don't have to look far or long to see the deception being lived out about us. All manner of worldliness and evil, men living after their flesh and lust, haters of God and hating the truth, is being amplified every year. What we see in the physical world is just the appearance, but the reality is unseen. There exists a world much greater living simultaneously with this physical world. Having seen it would change us forever. Now, brethren, to the spiritual, everything 
is to the spiritual blind, I'm sorry, to the spiritual blind, everything is physical. To the spiritual man, everything is spiritual. To the spiritual man, he knows something that is physically manifest, manifested physically is actually something going on deeper spiritually. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This was us in the past, but not so anymore, brethren. We were once sowers of disobedience, in the control of evil one and the controller of the principalities and powers of the devil who work it in the hearts of the children of disobedience. Like the children of Israel under the hands of the Egyptians, we suffer so much under the rulership of Satan. They had been deprived of hope of living in their bonds and of suffering, so they cried out to the Lord as we do in the bondage of Satan. God not only saves and forgives us from the power of Satan, but he restored us. He gave us power over sin. The moment we believe in the Lord, he has then delivered us from the power of the enemy. He has transported us from the dark power to the power of his love. We live in a spiritual world that is unseen. In this physical world, we have many kingdoms. We have hundreds of different countries, rulers, laws, kings, and pre presidents, all of which have their own governing bodies and ways of running their own kingdom. The spiritual world has only two kingdoms. It's the Lord's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. There is no neutral country in between. You're either serving in the Lord's kingdom or you're ser serving in Satan's kingdom. These are at war with each other all the time. These wars are fought by us right here and now. Being ignorant of this war only tells us one thing, that you are disengaged and ignorantly, maybe mean, not meaning to, but you are fighting for the enemy if you don't know that you are in, in, a, in a spiritual battle. Now let's dig a little bit, bit deeper and talk about the history of this war. It's important for us to know this. In Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He first created the morning stars, that is, the angels whose job was to bring service and ministry to God. There was peace and harmony in the heavens. We don't know how long that was. Lucifer was an archangel, that is an angel of valor, beautiful, covering a covering sheriff, covering the throne of God. He was a musician. He was a perfect creation. Note that all angels were sons of God by creation, not by birth. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the earth, which didst, didst weaken the nations? Verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt thy throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon a mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. He was banished from heaven, from the mount of God. With him were one third of the angels that had sided with him. These are his demons. 
In Genesis 1-2, And the earth was without form and void, and a darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. It is speculated that the devil and all his angels were here on this earth. That is why it was so dark and void. Darkness is the absence of light. God is light, and in him is no darkness. Man was created after the angels in God's likeness. Angels were created first, but not to his likeness. God took away that which was given to Lucifer and gave it to man. That is why he hates us, because we have what he had. Even though we were made lower than the angels, we were called to defeat him and the angels by his power, through his name. It brings the Lord glory to have that which was created weaker to crush Satan's head. Here's again the reason why he hates us. It brings the Lord glory to have that which was created weaker to crush Satan's head. The first war was fought here on earth. God could have crushed Satan with one whisper. But he wanted something different. God want, wanted man's response. He wanted man to bring everything back to the feet of God. But Satan didn't want man to side with God. So he turned himself into a serpent and deceived man. While the man was away, he tricked the woman to eat and follow his commands. The woman obeyed, following her own commands and not God's. Satan had seemingly won the battle. They handed over that which God had taken away from Satan and lost their dominion over the earth. Animals were now not in their control. Lions ripped apart other animals. Man must now work to the grave by the sweat of his brow. The world was like, was like Eden. The world was like Eden was lost. By deception, they gave that which God had taken from the devil and gave it back to Satan. They had now become the servants of the enemy. Ephesians 2.1 But God will still win the war, brethren. In the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world. He took the form of a man that he could as a man of the flesh and blood in the likeness of, of God as we take back that which Satan had robbed from Adam and Eve and return it unto us humans. Again, he wanted the glory. He wanted sons by creation. He could have totally destroyed us humans and the devil in a single command. He could have just created a whole legion of new angels and archangels. But that would not have been in his likeness. They would not have been his sons by choice. They would have not brought him so much glory. Can we understand the fully can we understand fully the unsearchable depths of God or his ultimate plan? The more we get to know God, the more we can understand why he did things, but I don't think we'll fully understand it. Satan tried to use the same tactics on Jesus as he did on Adam and Eve. Jesus was flesh and blood as we are, and he was tempted. He resisted and made Satan flee before him. Jesus claimed back that which he stole from Adam and Eve, but not yet. Jesus finally defeated the enemy. Satan thought he had crushed God's plan again when he arranged the powers of the world to crucify Jesus on the cross. But in doing that, he signed his own death warrant and was defeated. Everything is finally under God's feet again. The victory is won. The war has been won. Unfortunately, it doesn't end here. The war has been won, but a battle ensues in the heart of every man that resolves to follow Christ.
And that is what we read in Ephesians 6. <clears throat> the battle still rages here on earth. The battle rages in your heart this morning. The enemy wants to take back that which is Jesus had returned to us by faith. He will try the same deception to take us back to Egypt, promising us lies, ease, and contentment. Practically speaking, he will strategically use these seemingly harmless things we naturally love and go after and entice us to distraction and lukewarmness. In a moment of weakness, he will easily succumb. We will easily succumb to our natural loss of our flesh. The end goal the enemy wants is to discredit us from the Lord's authority and have us live in defeat over sin, discouragement, and live in sensuality. Brethren, once we realize that all the enemy has to do is to tempt us with just the right smorgasbord of things that he knows that we love, that we have a weakness over, lead us into that, tempt us, and our own loss will take over and lead us into sin. It's just a gentle push. But where we need to resist is on the onset, where we realize what the enemy is doing and resist it. Then we have the power. When we are strong, we have the power, not when we have succumbed through many miles of deception. Then we are just easily overcome. Everything he tried on Jesus on earth, he will try on us individually. We have been translated into Christ. Satan wants to entice us back to live after our flesh, where he has every ground over us, to a place where we think it's only a physical world we live in. The temptation to spend time watching this seemingly harmless movie is a tactic Satan uses to get us to turn down the wrong road. We spoke of this already. We need to abide in Christ to be victorious. There is no neutrality in this war. We are either fighting against the enemy and into God's kingdom, or we are still serving Satan's physical world, bringing that to ourselves. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Have you meditated on this verse? Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one and the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. There is a battle each man must go through like the children of Israel who spend so much time in the wilderness proving them. It wasn't until they came into Canaan where they fought the real battles. Again, this is just like us. After the highs of being born again have worn off, there are little conflicts at first. Then we find ourselves in the wilderness, a place where God seems silent and sometimes long, and sometimes long for physical loss of Egypt. God takes us into the wilderness to prove us. Jesus himself was led to the Spirit, to the wilderness here on earth, to show us 
that the old flesh is still very active. He tests us. He brings us through situations to show us who we really are. He brings us through situations that will bring out the worst in us. He chastens us like sons. Some indeed, many, many never come out of the wilderness. But why the wilderness? God could have taken the children of Israel via the route of, of the Philistines in a 40-day journey. But no, he took them via the Red Sea. This is a mystery to those that want everything spoon-fed to them in a silver platter. That is not the way of God. It would not bring him the glory to do the work for us. How would we ever find ourselves if, this, if it wasn't for the wilderness? It's canon where the real battles are fought. These battles are not physical but spiritual. Paul shared with us how these spiritual battle, battles are fought here in Ephesians 6. How we should take on the whole armor of God. That we may, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And again in 2 Titus or 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. Brethren, are we militant-minded in our everyday lives as we walk this Christian life? This feel-good feeling that comes upon us after we leave church, we go home. We flip over, we flip open our phones again, like we automatically do nowadays. Are we militant-minded as we open up our phones? Jacob is over the edge. This doesn't make sense. You don't have to be this. It doesn't have to be that hard. It should come automatically for a Christian. I'm sorry, what is your experience? We have to be militant-minded, especially considering retraining our minds that have been trained for so long to do certain things. And once we get used to it, then maybe it gets easier. But at first, if there's battle to be fought, it's going to be hard until we win over that war. <clears throat> Giving ourselves a wide berth to our known weaknesses, knowing well where they will lead us. Sometimes we sing songs that brings the wrong message of the kingdom. We, we like to sing about the crowns, the rewards, and the mansions. And that's very important. It's good. We have to look for the rewards because it gives us strength to overcome at times. And it's, it's, it's right in its proper perspective. But let's not forget about the battles that we must fight before we get the crown. Like a soldier, we have signed on a dotted line. No man that warred entangled himself with the fears of this life. He has signed up for war. He must follow his command, commander, not his own desires. He may lose a limb or die. He has no personal agenda anymore. When we sign up to be a Christian, we have given away our rights, our freedoms, our loss for a greater purpose, one where we are not in control but follow a higher calling. 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the feet. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. And not to me only, but unto all of them that love his appearing. 
And this is a good sign. This is a good check mark here. If we love his appearing, are we excited about the prospect of the Lord coming back today? It's a good check. To the end, Paul kept a militant attitude about his Christian walk. It was never not a fight. It was never not a time where he didn't use the girt of truth about him. And for Paul, how much more we, in these times that we are in, <clears throat> there was never a time when we, where he put off the breastplate of righteousness. He never took the defense with the gospel. He took the offense and plunged ahead. He always had the helmet of salvation on his head, taking the sword of the Spirit to walk daily, always being ready to raise the shield of faith, to quench the lies and deception of the devil. He prayed always with all supplication, watching with all perseverance. But he was human. He failed. But he still had a militant attitude. Paul gloried in tribulation because he knew in the hardships of his flesh Christ would reign. Through his suffering, Christ would reign. Christ would be increased. I don't glory in tribulation. I don't think anybody does here, naturally. But we have the right mind about Christ. We are the closest to God when we are going through the most. Let us be of the same mind concerning our Christian walk. If you find yourself in a wilderness, take heart. God wants to show you what's still in your heart. In conclusion, if you find yourself in a battle of physical and spiritual hardness, hardships, he, you can rest assured that the battle is not in vain. There is a reason you are in this battle. Brethren, the battle keeps us on a narrow road. A life of ease does not keep us on this narrow road. It's the hardships that remind us and put us back to our proper place. The battle could be sickness, weakness, discouragement. It makes no difference what the label is because God can use whatever means to chastise us to bring us to himself. There's a lot at stake and the enemy knows it. The Lord knows it too. And the Lord chastises his children so that they don't become complacent and backslide. In conclusion, dear, dear Christians, brothers and sisters, the besetting sins that we have, be it discouragement, faithlessness, lust, bitterness, that so beset us lately, are not really what is besetting you. It's the fact that you might have turned the wrong road a mile or two back or 100 miles back in your life. You keep making our same exits that take you down the road of your bad condition. The enemy is smart enough to not try to lure you with bad things, but starts with the small things that automatically lead you to the bigger ones. We must be honest with ourselves and realize our weaknesses. There is no law forbidding us from watching YouTube or re-watching the sport highlights, but knowing what road it'll take us down, we realize we can't turn there anymore. Though other people are around us, we can't. For the next person, it could be different. He who has ears, let him hear this morning. Amen.